All right, if you are around churches very much, sooner or later, you're going to see this. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was no more than a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. With little to no thought for themselves, they went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the station and give their time and money and effort to support the work. New boats were brought in and new crews were trained. And the little life-saving station grew. Some of these new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those who were saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they began to use it sort of as a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in this club's decor, and there was a memorial lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them were foreigners. The beautiful new club was in chaos immediately. The property committee hired someone to rig up a shower outside the club, where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. The outsiders made the life-saving station extremely dirty. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they felt that they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. But a small number of members insisted upon life-saving as their primary mission and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. After all, the dissenting group's members were voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. So they did. As the years went by, however, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old station. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was found. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that eastern seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters. But most of the passengers drown. Sorry, Chris, that's me, not you. There are different things that the story could illustrate. I don't think that our church certainly is an exclusive club. We don't think of each other that way at all. So what I want to say this morning is simply this. There is a very fulfilling satisfaction and joy that comes to those who love the loss and bless the loss with the good news of Christ. And this is grounded in God's satisfaction and joy when His children, whom He loves, come home to be in relationship with Him. And my sense is that it was something like this that moved those who started the first life-saving station 
And of course, you can pick up on the parallel between the church and the life-saving station. It was a motivation like this, this motivation, first of all, grounded in love, like God loves his people. But then also from this sense of joy and satisfaction that comes to people when they, in fact, go about helping others and specifically saving their lives. Why did they establish that work? It was because they loved and then it was because in loving and showing others the good news of Jesus in this case with the church that something happens inside. And the fact is we love it. We love it when we're able to help somebody in some significant way to move on. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 15 if you would. And here's the thing. When somebody gets married, what do we do? We celebrate with them. We're excited when somebody gets married. That's a good thing. One of these days, Dustin and Rochelle are going to go through this ceremony. And there will be people who rejoice because Dustin and Rochelle got married. When someone graduates... We celebrate them. When a couple has a child, we celebrate with them. When someone gets a promotion, sometimes we will celebrate that. Maybe we'll go out to dinner. If the Edmonton Oilers move on to the second round, even though the Flames didn't, because we're... No, that goes too far. Never mind. Um, Well, the Bible talks very specifically about the joy that both... God and the heavenly host feel when it comes to bringing people back to him. And so Luke 15 verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathered, all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And the Pharisees don't seem to have the kind of joy about people coming to God and repenting the way that Jesus does. So Jesus tells them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So clearly, it's not just the shepherd who's excited. There are people around the shepherd who are excited as he shares his joy with them. And then, in this case, the heavenly hosts are even rejoicing when one sinner comes back to God. And I think it's appropriate for us to ask the question whether or not we're as excited as those who believe in God and who long for his will to be done and for his kingdom to flourish. Are we as excited about that as the angels are? Because they're excited. Look at verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? 
And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so again, the heavenly host, the angels get together and have a party when somebody comes back to God. And then there's a third story. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. And in this third story, what's so wonderful is that you can't really blame the sheep. You can't say the sheep is responsible. You can't say that the coin is responsible. But in the third story, the son is responsible. There are great reasons for the father to say in the third story, I have had it. I am done. He is dead to me. And instead, he doesn't do that. And there's incredible rejoicing when the sun returns. And again, of course, the point is, is that our loving Father, God, celebrates, rejoices. The heavenly hosts throw a party when one who doesn't know him or has been lost, lost his way because of sin, comes back. Well, a couple of things I want us to see out of the story. First, whether shepherd, owner of a valuable coin, or father of a prodigal, the restoration of that which was lost brings great joy. Obviously, the effort or concern for that which was lost is totally justified. And so we might wonder whether or not we are willing to take the risk. 
whether or not we want to make the effort. For some of us, this is quite an effort. I think there will be, for some of us, stops and starts. For some of us, there will be some risk. It's not always easy. But as they say, there are a few things in life that are really worth something that are easy. And the satisfaction and joy that comes when someone with whom we have shared the gospel is transformed, in fact, makes it all worth it because there are few things in the world that feel better than having someone that you have talked to about Jesus come to him. It feels so good. When you talk to someone who doesn't know Jesus and you are able to show them the good news of Christ and they come to Christ, there are few feelings in the world that measure up to that. It is just so wonderful. I I will never have a baby. When I stand up on Mother's Day and I say, all the mothers stand up, I'm never going to stand and be recognized for that cause. just isn't going to happen. But there is a sense, I think, when you... Help someone to know Jesus. There is a sense that it must feel something like that to give new birth. When you feel the joy and the love of someone where there is a new life created, it must feel a bit like that. When you have the the joy and the privilege of helping somebody come to Jesus. The second thing I would say is this. God is right there with us in sharing our faith because it's His joy too when one of His children comes home. God wants so badly for those whom He has created to come home to Him. He wants so badly to be in relationship with them. And you know that because He wants that so badly that when you do take the risk... When you plunge in and you say something and it's difficult for you, but you start that conversation and you start to share somebody, share Jesus with someone, you know that God and his spirit are right there with you in the process because he wants to rejoice. He wants to smile. He wants to party. He wants to laugh. He wants to have that person there at home with him. And so he's right there with us in the process of sharing. And we need to keep that in mind. And in fact, it needs to embolden us. It needs to strengthen us and encourage us to go ahead and share. For three days in 1902, there was in the New York Times an ad in the personal column that read this. Paul E. Williams of Brooklyn, your father and mother want you to know that there is nothing you could ever do that would cause us to stop loving you. We want you to come home. Everything is fine. We both said things we didn't mean, and our hurt over you leaving will only be healed when you're home again. Six days later, there was a small block of advertising in large, bold print that read Paul E. Williams of Brooklyn came home. Our most sincere thanks to Richard Schilling. For showing our ad to Paul, his return has restored our joy. Somebody read the ad and showed it to Paul E. Williams. 
And because they did, Paul went home. And mom and dad were able to rejoice. I want to finish with this. There is no way I'm going to get through this. A while ago, the worship planning team decided that we wanted to get someone to offer a testimony today of what it feels like to help someone come to Jesus and, uh, and to share their faith. And I asked Robin if she would do this. And she said, not on my dead body. <laughs> and so... I'm just going to read this from her instead. But I don't even know if I can start. (laughs) Beginning in September, through our Friendspeak program, I have been meeting with my Friendspeak reader from China, Yun Ting. She lives here in Calgary with her Muslim husband and young son. We meet weekly to speak in English together, and we read the lessons from the Friends Speak workbook. We've completed the lessons from Luke. At every session, Yoon has many questions about the Bible, Jesus, and Christianity. And her interest is encouraging. Because our life group meets in the fireside room immediately uh, immediately after my time with Yoon, She has several times joined our group. She always listens intently to the conversation. Recently, when you and I met before Life Group, as we were discussing our Friends Speak lesson, I stopped for a moment and I told Yoon that I wanted to show her a special verse in the Bible and I turned to John 3.16. I let her read it out loud to me because she likes to read English out loud. When she finished reading it, Her eyes were wide. She had never heard or read John 3.16 before. She acted as though she was going to cry and said to me, You mean he did that for us? I then asked her if she could give the life of her son for others, and she said she never could. And I explained that that is exactly what God did for us in sending Jesus to die for us. She then asked, why would he do that? And I was able to explain to her about God's love for us. I don't know if my friend Yun Ting will become a Christian. But I'm praying that she will. And I want you to pray for her too. Sharing the gospel with her has brought me great joy. Which will only be increased if she decided to give her life to Jesus. (laughs) I pray she does. I pray she does. It is so wonderful when someone gives their life to Jesus Christ. It is such a beautiful thing. And God has given us that joy. He's given us that privilege, that blessing of being able to talk to others about Him. To reveal 
him to our world, we have a chance to say to the world the one thing that they all need to hear more than anything else. And it's just such a joy-filled experience to be able to share the good news of Christ with somebody who needs him. We're often hesitant to share our faith with others. There are things that have to be overcome in order for us to do so. But the joy we will receive in doing so should be one of those factors that builds on the motivating power of love we have for others who need to know Christ. There will be an opportunity in the next week for almost all of us to tell someone about what God did for us in Jesus and then what he continues to do. And I just want to encourage you this week to take opportunity to say something to others about who Jesus is. Because the joy that you yourself experience in knowing Christ can only, I think, be matched by the joy that you will experience when someone else hears from you the good news of Christ and they step out in faith as you did and themselves accept Jesus as you did. And then take for themselves this message and have opportunity to share it, this good news, with someone else. And, and when we're all taking this opportunity, God is going to sing. God is going to be thrilled. He's going to smile and he's going to laugh and the angels are going to sing and they're going to party because somebody else has come to Jesus. The question is, can we bring ourselves to take the opportunity, the risk, and then find ourselves in the same position of being able to party, to laugh and to be thrilled with joy because God has blessed someone with the good news of Christ through us. It can happen. And it could well happen for you this week. I hope you're open to that opportunity when it comes. Let's pray. Father, I pray today for Yun Ting. I want God for you to continue to use Robin to share the good news with her and for her to come to know you and give her life to you. We pray for her today. But God, we pray for lots of others who are in our lives who need to hear from us the good news about what Jesus has done. And so I pray, God, that you would help our church to, to be willing to risk, to put ourselves out there, to share the good news of Christ. Father, I pray that you'd put in our way peoples whose hearts that you're preparing. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work through the gospel as we share it to work on their hearts, to, to pierce their hearts, to, to help transform them and change them, break down the barriers and the sinfulness and help them come to you in faith. Father, we're looking forward to more partying. We're looking forward to more rejoicing. We're looking forward, God, to, to your angels singing. We want to hear your angels sing. Use us to bring that about, Lord, we pray, through Christ. 
Amen.